the Oxford Dictionary selects a word as the word of the year. The word of the year. Now, the word doesn't have to be invented that year, but it does have to be a word that has risen to prominence in the past year. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary chose the word post-truth, post-truth, all one word. Have you ever heard of that phrase, or I guess word I should say, post-truth? What does it mean? Oxford defines it this way, quote, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief, end quote. So in other words, feelings are more important than facts. And this is characteristic of our entire age in Western civilization, not just isolated individuals, but it's really the mood of our culture. It's not a new word, as I pointed out. It appeared back in 1992, but it rose in prominence. It grew in uses by, they say, 2,000 percent in 2016, due in part to the U.S. presidential elections. Abdu Murray is a Christian apologist, and he has written a book called Saving Truth, Finding Meaning and Clarity in a Post-Truth World. Great title. And he says, quote, the American presidential election was marked by so many competing and false claims, allegations of fraud, and proven mistruths, it is difficult to know whom to believe. Voices across the political spectrum were quick to condemn the other side with little or no facts and quick to defend their champion regardless of the facts. So hence the title there of post-truth. Now in many ways, our post-truth society is nothing new. Relativism has become the standard in the Western world. You say, what is relativism? Relativism, relativism is the view that the truth or that the individual or the group, they determine what is the truth. For the relativist, truth is not discovered but is made. Thus, we constantly hear that phrase, true for you but not true for me, right? Sadly, I don't think people come to the conclusion of relativism because they've searched it over and they've done a lot of research and they found that's the best answer for the question of truth. Rather, it's just sort of the air we breathe in our culture, isn't it? This is just what we hear all the time in the popular media or in the universities, that every truth is just relative. But that's not always been the case. Did you know that? For centuries, people believed in absolute truth. That truth asserts something that corresponds to reality. Truth matches with facts. Truth is what is actually the case, whether it is your preference, your wish, your hope, or not. Whether the majority believe it or not. Truth is what is the case. People discover truth. They do not create the truth, as with relativism. Truth claims are universal, true for all people, whether you believe it or not. To see the difference, for example, 
A, relativ a relativist would say the claim, God exists, that just depends on whether you believe it or not. If, it, if you believe it, it's true for you. But if you decide not to believe it, then it's not true. Someone who believes in absolute truth would say the claim God exists is either true or not. It does not matter whether you think it is true. It is true regardless. Do you see the difference? There's an enormous difference there. By the way, relativism, relativism is self-defeating. Just need to point that out. If you ask a relativist, is relativism true? They only have two options, and both of them are self-defeating. If they say relativism is false, they've just declared that no one should listen to them, right? But if they say relativism is true, that just contradicted their view that there is no truth. Do you see that there is truth? It is inescapable that there's truth. Now, of all people, Christians should be deeply alarmed by relativism and a post-truth mindset. Why is that? Well, without truth, there's no Christianity. Since our faith is built upon objective truth claims, such as God exists, right? God created the world. God, our human beings are sinful and have violated God's will. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh who lived a perfect life, died on the cross for our sin, and rose from the dead to show he was victorious over the grave. We base our eternal destiny on those claims, don't we? If those claims do not correspond to reality, then we don't have hope, do we? In fact, Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, talking about the resurrection. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So without truth, there is no Christianity. We must have truth. And indeed, I would say, in my opinion, that the stranglehold that relativism has on our society is one of the greatest obstacles to the growth of Christianity. Because people instantly or just sort of reflexively don't have an interest because they say that's just true for you, but it's not true for me without even pondering the questions or the claims. And pertinent to our discussion today, relativism completely contradicts the biblical view of God. You see, today as we continue our series on, this, on the attributes of God, those characteristics of God that make God who he is, we're going to explore the attribute known as the truthfulness of God. We're going to focus on four points in particular. God in truth, Scripture in truth, Jesus in truth, and then we're going to talk about ourselves, Christians in truth, and why this whole conversation about truth matters so very much in our lives. So we're going to start fittingly with God and truth. Truth is an essential part of God's character. Isaiah 65, 16 calls God, quote, the God of truth. Isn't that pretty? I love that phrase, the God of truth. 
God not only knows all things, as we talked about a few weeks ago, he's omniscient, right? He not only knows all things, but everything he says based out of that knowledge is true. It is accurate. He never says something that is a lie, right? Titus 1-2 says that God is one who never lies. Hebrews 6-18 says it is impossible for God to lie. Isn't that crazy? Don't you have to catch yourself sometimes? Like, it's instinctive sometimes to want to lie if you're caught in a jam, right? It's not impossible for us to lie, is it? It's not even possible for God to lie. Wow. And God never makes mistakes. Everything God says is true. Moreover, each person of the Trinity is said to be true, not just collectively, but individually. The Father is the truth, the Son is the truth, and the Spirit is the truth. God is truth. By the way, the Lord is the only true God. All so-called false gods are not true. Jeremiah 10.10 says, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. John 17, 3, Jesus affirms this reality of the one true God. Remember these words, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So it's logically absurd. It's biblically false to say that there are all kinds of different gods out there. There's only one true God as testified by Scripture. Now, because God is truth and the source of truth, his written word, his Word here is truth, and that's my second point, Scripture and truth. Scripture is how God has revealed himself, how we have access to that perfect knowledge that God has revealed. Scripture testifies that it is the Word of God. This isn't just a bunch of people on Sunday morning chanting it out. This is the testimony of Scripture itself. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Scripture is God's breath. You know, if you breathe into your hand, you feel the air coming out. Scripture is God's breath. It is the byproduct of what he wanted to speak to us. He is its ultimate source. And since Scripture is God's word, it is true and without error. Psalm 12, 6 says, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. That doesn't speak to us quite as much as it did back in their day, but a silversmith would purify the silver to make sure, what, that there was no dross in the silver, right? All the impurities had been taken out. The point is that God's word is like silver that was purified seven times, a symbol of completeness. It has no imperfections. There are no errors. His word is entirely pure. And the truthfulness of God's word isn't just kind of a generic, oh, in general, the Bible says the truth, or there might be particular passages of truth, or if you have a red letter Bible, all those words are true, but some of the other stuff isn't. No, it's not what the Bible says about itself. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. Psalm 119, verse verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth. The entirety of God's word is true. That Hebrew word sum was used in other places for the total of a census count, right? 
It describes the totality of God's Word. All of it is truth. So when it comes to truth, all of God's Word corresponds to reality. Whatever it's talking about, whether it's talking about history, whether it's talking about archaeology, whether it's talking about humanity, whether it's talking about God, whether it's talking about things that are religious or not religious, everything it says is the truth. Rightly understood, God's word corresponds to truth. But I would say even more than that, Scripture is the standard of truth itself. What do you think about that one, Ernie? I thought I might get you on that one. This is an even stronger claim about Scripture. John 17, 17, Jesus says, sanctify them in the truth, right? We become more Christ-like as a result of truth. Then he says, your word is truth. Did you catch how he said that? It's interesting. Notice he doesn't say your word is true. That's, that is true. He, you know, he could have said that, and there are Greek adjectives that he could have used, but instead he chose the noun, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Theologian Wayne Grudem says, the difference is significant, for this statement encourages us to think of the Bible not simply as being true in the sense that it conforms to some higher standard of truth, but rather to think of the Bible as being itself the final standard of truth. The Bible is God's word, and God's word is the ultimate definition of what is true and what is not true. God's word is itself truth. What do you think of that? What makes me sad is that on a regular basis, I hear about Christians, professing Christians, who are now, who have now decided that they don't believe this part of the Bible or that part of the Bible for whatever reason. A whole host of different reasons. But they have decided, I don't believe that part of the Bible. And often what you do find is eventually just throw the whole thing out of the window. Will you stand with me today in affirming the testimony, not of me, because I don't matter a lick, but the, the testimony of Jesus, that this is the standard of truth, amen? And that we want to follow in line as disciples of Jesus that I believe his word is true in totality. The whole kit and caboodle, the whole thing is all true. Speaking of Jesus, at least in my third point, Jesus and truth. The Gospel of John makes a lot of this theme, Jesus and truth, more than the other Gospels. John draws out two points that I want to mention here. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. John teaches that Jesus is the Word. Remember how it starts off, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So Jesus, though, he's not the written Word of God. He's not Scripture itself, but he's the living Word of God. He's the abiding embodiment of the written Word of God. John says of Jesus in John 1.14, the Word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He's full of truth. He's the embodiment of truth. All of his actions reveal truth. If you just want to know what truth is, you would have just seen Jesus, and now we just read about Jesus. He's the embodiment of truth. And that's why he says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, what? 
and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the way to God because he is the truth. And Jesus fulfills what was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. That's something you see a lot in John where he takes something that was uh, spoken of in the Old Testament and now he says, now I'm the true whatever it is. So for example, the, the nation of Israel is supposed to be a light to the Gentiles, right? To tell them who God was. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the true light, right? There was manna that came down from God in the wilderness and fed the people. Jesus comes along and says, you know what? I'm the true bread that will really fill your souls. He is the embodiment of truth. But he's not only the embodiment, he's the messenger of truth. He not only wants us to know that he's the truth, but he wants to tell you, all of us sitting here today, that he is the truth. He declares that truth about himself. He says in John 18, 17, he said to Pilate, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Revelation 3.14, Jesus says of himself, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness. And Jesus wants us to know the truth about himself so much that he went to heaven and then he sent the Holy Spirit whom Jesus calls what? The spirit of what? Truth. So that we might know God's word and have it buried deep in our hearts. The word of truth and the spirit of truth takes that truth and guides us and applies us so that we can know these things. You see how much this matters, why this matters? God wants us to be people that are filled and known by the truth. That leads to my last point, Christians and truth. We're to reflect his character as a truthful God. We are to be people of the truth. And scripture tells us in a couple of ways, what does this mean for God's people to be people of the truth? One, we should know the truth. We should know the truth. Proverbs 23, 23 says, buy the truth and do not sell it. I love that phrase. Buy the truth and do not sell it. The truth should mean something to us, Amen. We should value it. It should be precious. We should seek to know the truth about God that he's revealed in his word. Let me ask you, are you in his word? Are you in his word? Are you taking it in? Not just a sporadic nibble and crumb, but are you taking in the bread of life every day? Taking in that truth. Because this truth tells us about who he is, all of these amazing attributes that we've been studying, right? His truth makes us more like Christ. His truth tells us how to live. His truth tells us about his creation. It honors God when we seek to know truth about his creation, amen? As Christians, we don't operate by a secular, sacred divide. We know that all truth is God's truth, right? So if you want to go study math or science or art or poetry or whatever, all of that truth is God's truth. It can be an act of worship to be learning these things about what God has made in the world. And of all people, we should be people of the truth. Truth is matter that much to, uh, to us. There's a Russian proverb that says, one word of truth outweighs the whole world. I would agree with that. Because the truth's going to last forever. Let us be hungry for truth, Amen. And be teachable for it. But then secondly, we should obey the truth. Truth isn't just stuffing our head with a bunch of information. 
Truth is not just a mental exercise. It's to be believed and then obeyed. Some people say you don't really believe something unless you live it out. Truth should be a plumb line for our lives and transform us so that it affects our actions. In particular, their actions correspond with God's word. 1 John 1.6 is a powerful verse that says, If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. You might know it, but if you're not practicing, what good does it do for you? Second or third John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Our lives need to align with the word of God and knowing his word. And in regard to the issue of truth, we should be in line with what God says about truth. I think we should hate falsehood, right? Christians should speak truthfully, amen? Proverbs 12 22 says, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We should speak the truth to others. Ephesians 4.25 says, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. We should speak truth. And when we do, you know what God thinks about that? Don't you sometimes wonder, what does God think of me? Please with me? Well, here's something that will let you know what God thinks of you. Psalm 51.6 says that God, quote, delights in truth in the inward being. When he looks at your life and in your heart, does he see truth? If he does, then he is delighted with you. By the way, one of the most vital parts of spiritual warfare is knowing and obeying the truth. So why do you say that? Well, friends, I believe Satan's chief tactic is deception. Deception. He's powerful. He's more powerful than you and I. But his power is nothing, as we spoke about a couple weeks ago, compared to God. So he knows that his chief means is through deception. And Scripture often talks about how Satan is a deceiver. John 8, 44, Jesus said that Satan does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Ephesians 6, 11, the great passage about the spiritual warfare that we're to engage in says, put on the whole armor of God that you be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Friends, the devil has schemes in your life. He has plans for you. Now, when he comes to you, does he say, hey, I want to trick you this way. What do you think about that? Does that sound good? Would you want to follow that path for your life? And, and, and you, you, you're going to know right at the front end all the ways I plan to really wreak havoc in your life. Are you good with that? You want to know about that? Does he come to you that way? No. Schemes, plans, deceptions. Revelation 12, 9 says that Satan deceives the whole world. Not everybody in completion, but he is, his aims, his targets are at everybody. Don't think you're immune. And I'll say this to you. If you are struggling spiritually, you can mark it down that Satan has deceived you in some way. He didn't probably overpower you 
No, he just deceived you. He deceived you. Either you don't know the truth or he has blinded you to obey it. See, friends, Satan knows Scripture. He quoted it at Adam and Eve. He quoted it at Jesus. He knows Scripture, but he twists it. He distorts it. So we need to know the truth or else it will plague your life. Next, in the next week or so will be the 24th anniversary of me becoming a Christian. So I've been in this thing a long time now. And in my journey, I would say one of the hardest parts in my own life and in then watching friends and now as a pastor in different ways is seeing myself, seeing others who suffer from self-inflicted problems. Because they do not know and obey the truth. They might know what the Bible says, but they just put it to the side. Amen? I know better. Or I know what it says about being a godly husband, a wife, a parent. But I know better. Or I'll do something about that later. I know I should pray for my loved ones, but I'm too busy. That's a lie from Satan. I don't really matter to God. He doesn't know what I've done. He could never forgive me. Is that in the word of God? It's a deception. And you think, well, that's so obvious. Why would people do that? But yet, over and over and over and over again, you see this in our lives where there's just something that's there and it's hindering our lives because Satan has somehow gotten us away from knowing and obeying the truth. Some people, all of us, perhaps in different ways and different capacities, stay in these cycles, sometimes for years and years. And it all goes back to the simple fact that Satan put a deception in your life and you fell for it. I fell for it. Praise be to God, though. The victory is in your hand if you want it. Amen? Let me close with just two things to say. You know, living in a relativistic society, a post-truth society, is hard. It can be discouraging. But I also hope that it would be something for us to change gears with as well and say this could be a great opportunity for the church to live in a society that has, in a sense, tried to abandon this. But the thing is, you can't escape the truth, can you? The truth always rises to the surface. There's a God-given need for truth in our lives and in society that cannot be chased away. No matter how hard we try as a society to say over and over again, convince ourselves there is no truth and it's all just relativist, we can't escape it. Just look at the recent case with Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Did you notice that nobody said 
in that case that truth is relative? Did you notice that? Nobody said, well, let, let him say his thing and her say her thing, and it's true for both of them, and nobody really cares, right? No, everybody wanted to say, what is the truth in this situation, right? I want to know what actually took place. If relativism was true, nobody would care. But things like this unmask the fact that we all care. And not just about a huge situation about that, but with every situation. The truth matters. And friends, we can't live like this. There is no such thing as a post-truth post society. You can't even say it right. Post-truth society. We can't live like this. We have an opportunity to be people of the truth and to demonstrate it. And let me urge you that regardless of the issue or how divisive the issue, let us not deny the truth or twist the truth to make our point. Let us always stand on the side of truth because that is where God always stands. And our witness will attract the world when it comes to its senses. Especially if they see that we are willing to stand for truth that is hard truth, where we get pushback, where we get persecution. Amen? So let us be a people of the truth. And closing, let me just ask you a question. Friend, have you ever believed the truth about Christ? He proclaimed the truth about himself when he said, as I said earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We do not go to heaven based on our good works. That's not what Jesus said. We must believe that Jesus is the truth and his message is truth. We must believe that message, what he calls the gospel, and says that we stand in need of forgiveness. This is what is actually the case. We've not lived according to the truth of God's word. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We stand guilty, but God loves us so much that he sent his son, the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity, to become a man. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross to take your place. Not just mankind in general, but your place. And he rose from the dead to demonstrate the truthfulness of his claims. Do you believe that that is the truth? Has that become real in your life? If you do, it will change your life. And let me tell you something, friend. You will never be the same. Jesus says that. John 8, 31, 32, he says, If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free. Set you free from the guilt of your past and the shame and the rightful punishment that hangs over our head because of our sin sets you free from all of that so that you can have a new heart and a new mind that wants to worship God and be a person of the truth. Trust that claim today. Amen? Believe in the truth of the gospel this day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Your word says in Jeremiah 5.3, O Lord, do 
not your eyes look for truth. Lord, you want us to be a people of the truth. And we thank you that you are a God who is a truthful God. That you not only know all things, but that you never lie, you never make mistakes. Everything you say is according to the truth. And we're thankful that you've given us your word that helps us to know the truth. We would be like blind men in a dark cave, fumbling around if it was not for the light of your truth. And that most of all, you came through your son, Jesus Christ, the embodiment of truth, the living truth, and have given us hope that is found in the gospel. Lord, I pray for someone here today who's maybe never understood all of that, seen their own lives in the light of the gospel, They wouldn't leave this place. They wouldn't leave right now without uttering a prayer in their hearts. Today, they want to follow you. They believe that you are the truth. They believe the truth of your word, that they stand in need, and that there is indeed hope for the gospel in their lives. Lord, in many ways, these are dark days. But we pray that we would shine as your people all the brighter. We know we can't do this in our own strength. But by your power, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen.